1: Gain access to over 70 episodes of content, both audio and video, all written and presented by me to help you improve your English. I've got vocabulary lessons, I've got grammar lessons, I've got pronunciation lessons, there are PDFs to download or check in your phone. It's all available in the Luke's English Podcast app. To get started, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium and you can send me an email if you have any questions. It's the price of a cup of coffee every month, about 3 or $4, and then you get access to everything that I've done so far, plus all the new stuff, online, at a computer, or through the Luke's English Podcast app. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello everyone and welcome back to this podcast for learners of English and here is your regular dose of English conversation presented here to help you develop your listening skills and pick up grammar and vocabulary along the way. In this episode of the podcast you can listen to me in conversation with Ian Moore who is back on the podcast after a three and a half year absence. He first appeared in episodes 382, And 383 when we got to know him and talked about mod culture in the UK. If you haven't heard those episodes, or if you have heard them and you need me to jog your memory, here is some background information about Ian just to bring you up to speed. So, Ian Moore is a professional stand up comedian from England. He moved around during his upbringing and is from a combination of places, including the north. East Anglia and the London area, as you'll hear during the conversation. He's been described by The Guardian newspaper as one of the country's top comedians, and he regularly performs in the best stand-up comedy venues all around the UK, notably at London's top stand-up comedy club, The Comedy Store, which is just off Leicester Square, where he is a frequent host. So Ian is a mod, Mod is a British fashion subculture from the 1960s, which involves a very particular style featuring certain clothing, like, for example, slim Italian suits, green Parker coats, and a lot more besides, riding scooters and listening to American R&B music. Ian is definitely the best dressed guest I've ever had on this podcast and he came dressed in a three-piece 60s Italian suit, gold watch chain, handkerchief in the pocket with a pin and everything. Ian now lives in rural France on a farm and he's been living there for nearly 15 years which is at odds with his mod lifestyle. So he's been living a kind of double life living on the farm in the French countryside, looking after various animals because his wife keeps introducing new animals into the family, making chutney and commuting to the UK and other cities in Europe to perform stand-up comedy. He's written several books about his double life, which are available from all good bookshops, including Amazon. And that the first one is called À la mode, my so-called tranquil family life in rural France. And the second one is called C'est Modnifique, Adventures of an English Grump in Rural France. So as well as writing these funny autobiographical stories, Ian has also branched out into writing fiction, and his first novel, called Playing the Martyr, was published a couple of years ago. It's a crime thriller about an English man who gets murdered in the Loire Valley in France. Now, I don't know if this is based on Ian's life at all. I've got no idea if there have been attempts on his life for some reason. But anyway... The book is well-reviewed on Amazon and is available in both Kindle and paperback versions. Ian is also a language learner, French in this instance. He actively works on his French, and uh, he passed the language test to gain citizenship in France. So there are plenty of things to talk about. All of that is just background context. And if you'd like to know more, listen to episodes 382 and 383, both of which have transcripts written by the Orion Transcript Team available in Google documents. So check the transcript section of my website to find those. So basically, in those episodes, you can hear a full explanation of the mod subculture, including the clothes, the music, and everything else, Uh, various stories of Ian's rural French lifestyle, including how his... Children were once threatened, rather shockingly, by a French hunter armed with a shotgun and other stories. So, anyway, this time I decided to see where the conversation takes us, and the result was an extremely tangential and rambling conversation that takes in such things as Ian's favourite films, Ian's recent trip to New York where he did comedy and spent time as a tourist, the complications of Woody Allen's current public image. Differences between British and American audiences. Differences between burlesque and stripping. Ian's different accents as a child moving from Blackburn to Norfolk to London. Details of Ian's clothing. How to iron a shirt properly, which is a lesson that apparently I need to learn. Ian's various health issues and physical complaints and what might be causing them comedy shows that you can see at the Comedy Store in London and then Ian's stories about learning French and attempting to pass the language test for French citizenship. So watch out for various little jokes and funny stories along the way and try to keep up as the topic of the conversation veers from one thing to another. But now let's listen to my conversation with Ian Moore and here we go.
0: The Aristocats,
1: you're saying that uh, being up here in...
0: On the Paris rooftops, yeah. is the Aristocats, isn't it? The, the, dis, the Disney film. I'm not talking about the filthy American pseudo-documentary. I'm talking about the Disney film. The Aristocats. It's very much where I am more in my comedy. <laughs> I'm down the Disney end of
1: comedy at the moment rather than Aristocrats. I, I, you know, I've never seen the Aristocats um,
0: can you remind us what what? It's happens? a wonderful film. The one, I think the cat gets the kittens get separated from the mum, or the mum and the kittens get separated from their owner, and they make an alley cat.
1: But it's set. It, first of all, it's set in Paris. It's That's set the in thing. Paris, yeah. as
0: all cat films are. All cat films. should oh, be Any set good in Paris. cat films? Any good cat films? I'm trying to think of another cat film that was set in Paris, but it's it's great music as well.
1: I tell you what. Sorry, there's there there is another film, a Disney film, set in Paris, but it's not Ratatouille. cats. Ratatouille.
0: There was a cat involved though.
1: Is there a cat in Ratatouille? And it wasn't?
0: Oh no, that was Basil the Great Mouse Detective was set in London. There was a cat in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, Ratatouille was the other Paris film. Yes.
1: It's really it's in my stand. I've got this in my stand-up actually. The, <laughs> really? the, the the Hollywood versions of Paris,
0: or there's Charade, which is my favourite film, and Sh- it's not Disney. Charade. It's Charade. and that's a film. Uh, Cary Grant and Audrey Hepburn, Walter Matthau, James Coburn, all set in Paris in 1962, and it's absolutely superb. It's the best film Hitchcock never made. It's a very Hitchcock-style film, mm-hmm. and I absolutely adore it. And I watch it possibly twice a week what (laughs) i know i know that sounds get out of town ridiculous but every time say if i finish a gig or i'm up late at night and i go well i'm gonna i'm just gonna watch something now rather than stand around drinking my wine i need to sit down so i'll go to bed earlier yeah and i put on charade every time i've got it on my ipod on my laptop on my hard drive i've got it two dvd versions what is it about the film charade that just sheer class and a world that doesn't exist anymore. it's, it's got it's brilliant writing. It's, it's the two of my favourite actors. Uh, well, four of my favourite actors. Um, a fantastic score. It's directed by Stanley Donan, who also directed *Singing in the Rain*. It has got everything. Songs? It's, uh, no, it's just it's just a theme song, just just a soundtrack. But there's a, there's a kind of for me, it kind of represents the end of the golden age of hollywood i'm a huge fan of the golden age of hollywood from the start of talkies until what i as charade is basically or charade whichever way you want to yeah. i don't care uh, it's my favorite film i'll pronounce it how i want <laughs> um, <laughs> so from the start of talkies until charade talkies yeah you'll have to explain what that well means. when sound came into film 1927 al jolson standing there going no wait 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 you ain't heard nothing yet wait a minute wait a minute you ain't heard nothing yet. Wait a minute, I said it. You. you ain't heard nothing. That was the first sound heard on film. So that's the start of talking pictures. Mm. And so, I my favourite period of Hollywood is the start of talking pictures Talk- until Sherrod. Okay. Wow. By so the that's way, twenty seven to sixty two.
1: As we go through this conversation, it may be necessary to explain and define as we go. Hollywood is, is a place in America. America is a big country <laughs> full of crazy great people. Satan. <laughs> the great. Some of you know it as the Great Satan, and you may be right. Well, I've just been there,
0: and I was shocked. I, I I'd been to New York. I'd never been to New York, and the reason why I went um, was basically I booked a holiday because my wife and kids was constantly going on holiday and leaving me alone to look after our stupid zoo. Um, Wait, you, you, all the animals you've all got. All the animals. We current count: fourteen. Fourteen, yeah, but I've been away two days. That may have changed. It may have multiplied. <laughs> you, you just never know. Biggest you animal. Never, biggest animal is the horse. Okay, and she's when she's around. When she wants to get, you know, fruity, I believe is she once pinned me up against a stable wall. Really, and it was it was. Well, you feel frightened anyway because these are big animals. There's nothing you can do. You can't push a horse. Well, you, you can try. Yeah. But she had me pinned. She just needed some affection of some kind. She
1: she pinned you to the pinned wall me against of the wall of the,
0: stable. of the stable. Yeah. Pinned you to the wall. Yeah. So I couldn't move. I couldn't. Right. I couldn't. She was standing in a way and pressing herself up against me, and it was. It must have looked a right sight when I eventually did escape because I would just emptied the chicken coop and I had I had eggs in my pocket. Oh no, which had burst and <laughs> left left these horrible stains all over my coat. So it was a very odd, a weird sort of uh,
1: almost romantic encounter with your it horse. It
0: felt, it felt like, it, it felt romantic. And you had anyway. to clean yourself up I afterwards. You had to, you know, Kleenex. Yes, yeah. it, it was a lot of yeah. There a lot of that involved. In
1: so it. wait a minute. So your your family left you alone. They left
0: me. They've been constantly leaving me alone for the last two years. Um, going off on, going on, holiday. on holiday. Going on holiday. Going um, on well, I say on holiday. They're going to stay with, uh, with my sister-in-law who lives down by the Pyrenees uh, or they go to England and see uh, grandparents and so on. Anyway, I'd had enough. I'd had enough of being left on my own. And I booked uh, a break in New York just for me. Just for me. Mm. And I said, right, Sodja, I'm going. Uh, you're going to have to look after your own animals for a week. What, what made you choose New York then? <sighs> because I'd never been. I'd never been to New York before. I've been to America. I've gigged in America before, but I'd always wanted to go to New York. When I a lot of my um, comedy roots, I would guess, would be Woody Allen, which I know is not a very fashionable thing to say, but regarding the fact that he's clearly in some ways a wrong-un. Um, what do you mean? Well, what I mean one? just that he is regarded as... A pariah, I guess, in Hollywood circles because of two things. One, he married his stepdaughter, which is – there's certainly grey area involved in that. Actually,
1: when you think about it, there's nothing really wrong with it because they're not – It wasn't illegal. He's not marrying his – daughter no he's marrying his stepdaughter it's not
0: illegal there are some moral issues there that i think probably get forgotten and also there's the thing about him uh, the ongoing thing about him um, allegedly uh, abusing his daughter or stepdaughter yeah there's now allegations of sexual misconduct which have been investigated twice yeah uh, and both times the police have said there's no case to answer but that it's still ongoing any my point being mm-hmm. that Woody Allen is regarded as a pariah so when you say you're a Woody Allen fan that has baggage with it yeah it has baggage with it and and I admit even as, as an ardent Woody Allen fan you can watch some Woody Allen films and there are elements of them where you cringe and go in the light of what we know now that that doesn't work really there's,
1: i can't remember which film it is but there's one film i think from the 90s
0: where he is knocking around with a little girl for most of the film and it's all a bit weird well there's manhattan in one of his most famous films where he's basically in his 40s and chasing after a 17 year old oh yeah so there is <laughs> mm. there's a lot of it there's there are but i mean it's all very easy to look back in hindsight and say things like that uh, you yeah. know you could but, there are things there which do make you cringe, and I'm and I'm very much and I'm aware of the kind of um, the the kind of judiciary that operates on social media these days that that, that t- tends to condemn people and find them guilty before any legal due process has been found. I think the same. You could say the same thing. Has Kevin Spacey been charged or found guilty with anything? Kevin
1: Spacey is such a weird case, but I don't, th- I don't know if there have been actual legal proceedings yet. Well,
0: but, but that's slightly my point, in that you, you his films have all been withdrawn. Um, yeah. Yet there is no legal basis for that. So he's being
1: punished in all sorts of ways in a kind of in the civil
0: arena. The, uh, the whole idea of law is innocent until proven guilty, yeah. and at the moment, nothing's been proven as guilty of breaking the law. Yeah and you could go way back in you it's difficult to you know mozart wasn't a, wasn't a clean living individual by any means charles dickens was awful to his wife and to women you know you can't i don't think you can just pull all these cultural things off the shelf yeah. because there are things that don't sit easily with how we view things now yeah, which is a long way of going about saying I was going to New York. <laughs> so, you, so you went to New York, so I went to New York. And it was a kind of for me, it was a kind of film pilgrimage, not just Woody Allen films, but like when Harry met Sally, which is it's another one of my favorite films. But just to be in New York, you know, to to wander around and see these things that you feel in a sense that you've grown up with, even though you've never been there. Mm-hmm. And I, w- I, just wanted to spend a few days doing that, and, and I just, I had the most wonderful time in York. I did a gig on the last night as well, which was great fun. Just a just a short gig, and I just, and I just felt it felt you know, it felt really weird. It felt like I'd been there lots of times before. Yeah, yeah. I felt comfortable straight away. Yeah. So, what well,
1: you did a gig at uh, a, a kind of fairly well known Gotham sh- Gotham Comedy Club Gotham Comedy Club in in uh, New York, not yeah. in Gotham. CD. No, it doesn't but, exist. Folks. No. Um, and if it did, like, who would live there? I don't know. <laughs> but, um, so, Gotham Comedy Club, and in front of an American audience. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but not the first time we would f- performed in front of Americans.
0: No, uh, not the first time. I mean, obviously, working in London, I've performed in front of lots of Americans, but that's a different, that's a different way you approach it, because they're, they're not in their yeah. comfort zone. They're not in their house, yeah. uh, if, you were, if you will. Uh, whereas, I'd done a festival in Boston... Um, Boston Comedy Festival a few years ago with some big stars Janine Garofalo and, and Eugene Merman, mm. which was great, which was great fun as well. The first night we did at this enormous um, theatre in Boston, which was a very good gig. Thoroughly enjoyed the gig, and then the next night, um, because it was a festival, you move from venue to smaller venue and, and across the next town. Next time I did the next gig, we did and the following night it was it was I was following a burlesque act in a rough bar a burlesque act is basically a sort of like
1: um how would you describe it? a glamorous uh, kind of stripper rounded more rounded strippers
0: shall we say rubenesque so rubenesque strippers
1: it's like stripping but on the woman's terms yeah it? coy stripping so it's, it's and that's teasing. not a type of
0: fish <laughs> it's that i just mean that it's it's more teasing i think that's a that's a that's a very good word for
1: me like if So, if a woman is like a feminist and is about empowerment and all that stuff, she's a burlesque dancer. Whereas if the woman just wants to get some money cause, and she doesn't care about all the other stuff, she's a stripper. Right. See what I mean? Like burlesque is a sort of like uh, for, a way for women to do stripping, but it's, uh, it's an empowered form of stripping. Yeah. It's like a sort of... It goes back to an old traditional form of entertainment and stuff yeah. like that. But I think... Don't you think that like a lot of women now are doing are interested in going into burlesque in the same way that they're interested in going to... What is it? Sort of a... Uh, pole, pole
0: dancing d- lessons.
1: Pole dancing lessons, maybe. But also, uh, what do you call women who... Um, uh, some men like to go to these women and they will dominatrix dominatrix right Every dominatrix also is in the world of like maybe sex workers and stuff but a dominatrix a dominatrix is kind of like empowered so you're and right. so i'm saying that it's trendy at the moment for, for for women to be interested in doing things like being a dominatrix or going into doing uh what's the burlesque dancing yeah. and it's a sort of a more acceptable
0: empowered form of uh i guess sexy so. sexy entertainment i guess so i I, I just, it's a very fine distinction to make. You're still taking your clothes off. <laughs> I do <didn't laughs> take your clothes off for, for essentially blokes in in a room. Yeah. I mean, but I I get the distinction and I see what you mean, but I, you know, that's very, that's a, I think I, there's a fine line between. I think you know.
1: that it's there though. I think the line does exist. I think,
0: I think well, I, I don't disagree with that. And I think, yeah, I mean, would women say they're doing burlesque or they're doing stripping, you know?
1: There is a, well, difference. There's a like, difference in style, what?
0: though, as well. Like burlesque comes with a certain types of,
1: um, uh, like, they've always got those big uh, wings made of feathers, which they kind <laughs> of… swans. Are they swans' wings? That's is that the swans. idea? And they kind of, like, you know, uh, reveal themselves from underneath yes. these these feathery wings and And, and I don't…
0: I, 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 apart from the burlesque show I performed at, I don't think I've ever been to a burlesque So And it's not full nudity i think it's more coy than that it's yeah. more sort of carry on it's more uh, a sort of um a hint yeah of eroticism rather than full-on sex show yes. of some kind yes okay anyway <laughs> i do you so, know so i'm so uncomfortable talking about it do you know what? years ago i was um an extra in a film and this particular it's called the hunger I can't remember anyway. I remember it because it was the day of the semi-final of Euro 96 and I desperately wanted to get out. But I was, <laughs> we were filming in, this, in this, this strip club in West London and it was basically a scene in the film where there was strippers on, on the stage and then blokes sitting at the bar. And, the, and I was so shy and, and really quite young. And the director said, right, you, you there, um, you're, in this scene you're the groper. And that's the last thing I wanted to be. I just did, I just didn't want to be there. And we, so many takes. And then in the end. What is a, what is a groper? A groper is, is, is a bloke who, who uses his hands rather than his eyes, uh, and, 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 and takes un, you know, unwanted, uh, physical affection. Um, since we're talking about Woody Allen and stuff like yeah, that exactly.
1: we're all going well groping away. is a word that that you should know ladies and gentlemen that's uh, basically yes yeah, if you're talking about like the me too movement and and creepy men who do things yes. they shouldn't do the, but yeah touching touching, touching you when you don't want to be touched inappropriate touching in the inappropriate areas this is yeah. groping so anyway in your in this movie which, which was being I uh, was
0: I was chosen by, to to be the groper in in this scene at this strip club so I'm supposed to you're not allowed to touch the strippers, but I was supposed to reach out mm. and try and touch the stripper. And we had so many takes. And in the end, the stripper herself complained about me because I was so weak and ineffectual <laughs> and showed clearly no interest in, <laughs> in doing actually, yeah. this. That's all. And really? just do. And so they had to, they had to drop me as the groper and pick somebody who, who was up to the job. A method That's, actor. Yeah. a uh, proper groper.
1: I see. Okay. So you went to New York and uh, you performed... I was going to ask, uh, do you feel like American audiences are different to British audiences?
0: I didn't... I didn't know. And, and I didn't... I didn't... I wasn't nervous about it in that respect either. I, I knew that New York is a sophisticated city, and I've worked all over the world in sophisticated cities and know what I'm doing. And, and the language was never going to be an issue. I just felt confident in it. I'd, I'd been there three days in New York. And I felt so at home with the place that Mm. I didn't feel necessarily that I was out of my comfort zone or out of, out of my own country in a, in a, in a bizarre sense, I felt at home. So it didn't, I didn't feel any nerves at all. That's an English American thing. Possibly. I just think I'd enjoyed myself so much for three days that I just felt that this wasn't going to ruin it either. That I was just in complete control of what I was going to say, how I was going to say it. I probably even took the edges off my accent a little bit and made Did it you, little, really? a little bit more English. Oh. And, uh, and went, you know, probably by the end of my set, I was almost full-on David Niven. <laughs> but, I, but I really kind of, not poshed up a little bit, but just went a little bit more middle class normally than when, my accent normally
1: is. normally when you speak, you've got a bit of a sort of There's London a bit accent. of a Mockney. There's a it's bit mockney. of Michael Caine in there yeah. sometimes i don't know yeah mockney you call mockney.
0: it mockney mockney is is people who pretend to be cockney cockney is the london accent basically specifically it's, you are born within the sound of the bow bells yeah. in the east end of london which but i'm not i'm a northerner
1: <laughs> if you speak like that right if you all right mate all right geezer it you fancy a cup of tea yeah
0: that is that is cockney it's but uh, yeah in, in effect that is cockney basically but i and that's how i tend to be on stage yeah even though i'm not I'm not a londoner at all you're it's from
1: a, blackburn I'm from blackburn how do you how the blackburn I, I
0: normally speak like that that's 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 my accent from where I was born it was in Blackburn in lancashire yeah
1: when did you leave blackburn
0: when I was seven okay and then you moved to you moved to East anglia yeah and I was uh, where, whereabouts? in Kingsland near Kingsley in east near, anglia near and Cambridge? That's east, east near norwich east near norwich, near norwich not norfolk there, Alan, a far out east. Alan Partridge. Alan Partridge. North and, Norfolk. And I was, first day at school in East Anglia, obviously I, I was still speaking like that because I'd just come from Lancashire. And I was beaten up on my first day at school. Whoa, really? By, by, the, by the local Norfolkians who regarded my accent <laughs> as weird. Which in Norfolk, they speak like that all the time. And they thought I spoke stupid and beat me up. And then four years later, we moved down south to Crawley, well, Horsham, Crawley, Horsham, and then which was nearer London. And then people spoke with a more estuary accent. They spoke a bit more like this. Yeah. But I turned up my first day at school in Horsham, speaking like that, because i just come from Norfolk. <laughs> and I got beaten up on my first day at school.
1: Listen to him. <laughs> Where are you from?
0: Yeah. <laughs> Blackburn.
1: <laughs> Via Norfolk. Um, okay, so... When you turn up on stage uh, at the Gotham Comedy Club in front of a room of what about 100? Yeah, a, about 100. 100 uh, there were um, on Thursday night. Yeah, yeah um, Americans, Americans, mm-hmm. and but you were really the
0: smattering of English. There were a few English in there as well. Okay,
1: um, and you turn up uh, dressed in a sort of—I
0: was actually dressed like this. I mean, I'm in a three-piece check suit with a gold watch chain and a black roll neck. A gold watch chain—is there an actual watch attached? It's attached to my Prince Albert. <laughs> it's Should not, I ask? It's not, it's not, You're gonna to have to explain MC, what that is. No, uh, Prince Albert is a, is a is a piercing of the genital area. There's no from, my, from my, my watch chain is um, is attached to nothing. It could be attached to something.
1: But it's purely just for this. It's sh- purely just the ornamental. Shirt. So the, it's it's a very nice, very fetching thing that it comes down from one of the buttons. Is, is it important which button it comes down from?
0: Well, as long as it hangs above. No, it's, yeah. no that's about right, because it couldn't go just across. It has to, ha- it has to hang, say, a good two or three centimetres above the watch pocket on so, your waistcoat. So you've got the
1: waistcoat, uh, and say, it's quite a high buttoned waistcoat. Yeah. Because that's the mod style, isn't with it? With the collar Normally, as well. With a the collar. Waistcoat has a collar. The waistcoat has got a collar.
0: Quite high buttoned one. This is a '60s Italian cut, yeah, three-piece Italian cut. What's kibichi- the difference? Kibichi. It's a different style of um, trouser for a start. There's no, it's a flat front. There's no pleats, which was different from the late '50s style. A, a pleat being a, a pleat of, being the, a fold at the front of of the trouser, which creates a line down the front. It creates a, it just creates a fold, almost like a like a, a skirt in you know, in a way, yeah. a pleat. Yeah. Did I just say that? Yeah, you did. I did. But I'm just
1: thinking, like <laughs> it's a pleat, mate. Yeah, a pleat. Yeah, like a like a like a girl's like a school girl's uh, skirt. Yes. Yeah, in the nice, yeah. in the best possible. It way. creates
0: a it creates a role in the fabric whereas oh, these don't right. these I'm trying to don't. imagine
1: a pleat on a trouser
0: oh, well 80s 50s big sort of um, zoot suits yeah they would have a pleat at, uh, on the trousers those big sort of Baggy 1950s trousers. big suits and jazz 80s kind of new romantic trousers okay. they would have
1: pleats on as well on the side
0: no on the front on the front on the front
1: okay so when you turn up on a stage hmm. dressed as a mod right yeah and you open your mouth in your English accent, whether it's you've maybe maybe you've pushed the sort of the the received pronunciation a bit more, or you're still speaking like Michael Kane as your mobile phone continues to in
0: Ian is currently. I'm, I'm really sorry, but I've struggling. got a new mobile phone and I have no idea how it works. He doesn't and know how to turn and it's it doing off. all manner of stuff. is that
1: is it? It's a Samsung, is it? It is.
0: Yeah, there you go. That's it. Okay, sorry about that.
1: So. You turn up on stage looking like you do and sounding like you do. What do the Americans think, or what do you what, what 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 do you know about what they think?
0: Well, the thing is, they'd all almost been told how to think by the compare. Insofar as um, she went on, and she was very good, and she she got a good atmosphere in the room. I, w- I wasn't first on; I was second on. And she said uh, in my introduction, she said. Um, please welcome this guy all the way from England and he is the best dressed comedian I've ever seen in my life and so therefore that's set a tone so you don't you can't then sort of walk obsequiously onto the stage you walk on you can't you can't walk on as though you're embarrassed yeah you, you got to have to live up to your outfit you got to own the the yeah. situation yeah. Mm-hmm. which is what i did and, and went straight into my stuff and confidently said hello how are you and then just went into my stuff yeah and, I, at, and at no point did i feel like i had to chat to anybody or ingratiate i mean there were things, times that i chatted to the audience during it but our cultural references between new york london new york and london i'd say are so similar yeah that there's no real problem in in translating anything for instance
1: yeah <coughs> Do you want a glass of water or something? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) I just got Ian a glass of water and I had water on my hand listeners and I just literally just wiped wiped it on my shirt. I am wearing a shirt, which I ironed. I ironed this. Yeah, I know. It doesn't look like it at Uh, all. At any point? Like I really really ironed it hard and it's still like, I just can't iron creases out of shirts. Anyway, I just thought I wiped my wet hand on my shirt and then I thought, oh my God, this is not
0: something that Ian would do. (laughs) Whatever perceptions you have of Luke from listening to this regularly. Wiping his hand on his his creased shirt probably doesn't fulfil so ex- any fantasies. You an extremely
1: have. creased shirt. How do I get this shirt? How do I get the creases out of this shirt? Well, you here? steam iron that surely. Well, yeah. You mean you just put your iron on the hottest setting and you, but click you
0: spray water onto it as well? You spray water onto the shirt mm-hmm. so that it's iron, ironing damp, right? And another way of getting creases out of clothes. He says This is this is this is I'm saying this is my most Michael Kane way. <laughs> Another way of getting creases out of clothes and you learn this from being on the road all the time as a comedian, how you get creases out of suits, for instance, is a good way of doing this. Mm-hmm. Is you when you're in your hotel or wherever you're staying is you hang your clothes up in your bathroom, take a really hot shower, so the whole room steams up. Yeah. And the creases fall out of the clothes. Ah. I don't know the I don't know the physics of that, but it works. it does work okay so i need to spray water on this spray water hot iron spray water on it and then don't wear
1: it again so you're very exacting about the clothes that you wear do you have the same attitude about what other people wear are you judgmental about others dressing dress clothes i used to
0: be i think i used to be i think there's a number of things that change you in that regard one you get older and, and get more Tired of the battle, <laughs> the, the, the battle that you're never going to win. And you're just like, just wear what you want to yeah, wear. Yeah, what the hell? But also, I've got I've got three sons, and two of them are teenage, and they have very particular tastes. They're not. It's none. It's not stuff. It's not stuff that I would wear or ever wear or ever have worn. But you know, they're very not belligerent. They they are they're belligerent. So they're prepared to argue their case. They, yeah. you know, they 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 respect their dad. But if their dad st- says, "Why are you wearing that?" and say, "Because it's X, Y, and Z, and I look better than you," <laughs> and they'll and th- and that's the argument they use. You know, that's how you've always dressed. You dress how you want to dress. We're doing the same.
1: Well, you're trying to convince them to wear three-piece Italian suits? Oh,
0: no, I'm, do- I'm just saying, you know, do you have to show your ankles every time you go out? Is this is, it, is this some kind of ankle competition going on? What, you know, why do you do you not have any proper footwear? Any footwear that you can polish, for instance? <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, wait, they're going out in trainers with ankle socks and the the, yeah. the, the jeans or trousers are rolled they're, up? Rolled up. So rolled the ankles up, are on the ankles, display.
0: The mankles as I believe they're called. Mankles. yeah. They're called mancle mankles. Man's ankles. Yeah. I tried that in the summer briefly. Yeah. No, it's not a good look. For what were you wearing right? on your feet? Uh, I had trainers on. I've, I've, I've relaxed in the last couple of years. What? <gasps> well, physical issues have meant that... I had to see... Um, i've had back problems for years mm-hmm. and my doctor in france who hates me anyway but i he 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 recommended that i go and see a chiropodist and Sorry, the chiropodist, is back, back doctor no is that no that's a chiropractor doctor. yeah yeah he said well maybe it's because of the way you're walking maybe it's, you've got a problem with your feet and that's going up your spine yeah so go and see a chiropodist and the chiropodist said can you bring in examples of the footwear that you that you wear like, of course. And I said, well i mean can i hire a van i've got i've got quite a lot of footwear and i turned up at the show <laughs> about six pairs of very delicate loafers <laughs> <laughs> and a couple of chelsea boots and he looks at me and he goes uh, do you not wear anything else went, no this is this is how i this is how i roll and he said no wonder you got back problems so wait a minute so you,
1: you've been issue- you've been suffering from various health problems complaints mm. um including back problems mm-hmm. could this be a result of your
0: mod uh, well that's, that, was, that was the implication that was the implication that because i'm such a martyr to my own style to, to the modernist style, that I've, I've actually damaged myself physically.
1: So that you know, the chiropodist can kind suggest of suggest changes to your
0: your yeah, app- you know, apparel go, and go full on rocker, more leather jackets and more bikes No, he didn't say that. He no. just he just he said, look, I'm going to give you this kind of semel, as they call it in France. It's an insole. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm
1: wearing some in you, my shoes you? right now.
0: Right. Yeah, and they were moulded specifically for for all my footwear, and it's made. Not the slightest bit of difference.
1: Yeah. I've got, I've got, um, so listeners, Ian, you're going to love this. So I've got bunions on my toes, my big toes. It's horrible. So, uh, bunions listeners are basically swollen joints in your feet. So, and they, and they are my big toes. Right. Okay. So this causes, I mean, you know, they, they, they still look beautiful.
0: Don't worry everyone nobody's feet looks beautiful that's the thing that's the thing nobody you, yeah. no, this is one of those things that's not really discussed feet are disgusting yeah, they are weird things yeah, yeah. aren't they yeah.
1: so anyway my big toe joints are all swollen and they can be very very painful they hurt a lot right. and also i think it affects the way i walk as well potentially or maybe the toe thing is is related to the way i stand and walk that i favor my right foot so i stand on my right foot and if I'm just standing there waiting for the bus, I'll be standing mainly on my right foot. And that means that one of my hips is slightly higher than the other.
0: Everything's connected, though. The, f- the foot bone is connected th- to the bone. Apparently there was a song bone. about this, but <laughs> everything is connected. The footballer, Stephen Gerrard, when he first began playing in the first team for Liverpool, he had um, a number of injuries. And they tried to work out the source of these back and hip and... Uh, think it was groin related in, uh, injuries and in the end they took out his wisdom teeth what yeah they took out his wisdom teeth and the those sort of, sort of injuries Stephen Gerrard had wisdom teeth I, well not for not for very long <laughs> um and and he was fine after that so everything no. and i don't again i don't know the, the science of all this but everything is related so your wisdom teeth can affect how you're standing, how, you're, how your body's adjusting to whatever pain is is somewhere else in your body.
1: Interesting, because I, st- I still have my wisdom teeth. They haven't been removed. I've, so may- I've never had any. I don't you've never, never had them. They've never even grown? Some adults do? don't have them, do they? Okay, it's, I don't know. It's,
0: it's, 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 that speaks volumes for my life.
1: Well, I mean, I don't know if wisdom is the right word. If you got them, but Stephen G- uh, you didn't get them, and Stephen Gerrard did, and I did. Maybe, maybe I don't know if wisdom i don't know what it is but um so anyway so potentially the way i stand or the bunions in my feet also cause problems in my neck so i have
0: everything overcompensates
1: yeah i've got a slipped disc in my neck have you yeah which plays up sometimes that uh, recently it's been fine but every now and then it slips a little bit and it's horrible i can't move my head at all but That's, that, yeah.
0: and that is painful back problems are have you ever had sciatica
1: No, I haven't had sciatica, but my wife's had it. My mum has it. Man, alive! Yeah, horrible. So, all right, should we do a section on physical ailments now? (laughs) How long have you got? We've got loads of time. Do you want (laughs) to go through all the things that have been bothering you uh, in terms of your health?
0: Okay, I'll just say where I am now, rather than... Because I don't know what's caused all this. Probably lifestyle, but I have currently uh, chronic rheumatoid inflammatory arthritis psoriatic you're gonna to have to explain every word i don't understand of any said. of what i just said i just know i've got it chronic, chronic chronic means permanent yeah chronic means it's not going away rheumatoid arthritis means an inflammation of the joint so r- inflammatory rheumatoid arthritis means an inflammation of the joints which okay. is very painful which means the, the i think it's to do with the cartilage or is that osteo i'm not sure anyway it's inflammation of the joints all the joints all, all my joints that's why it's because it's been going on for too long it's not just it's all my joints yeah. not all always at the same time but yeah. they're all in pain i've got double spinal hernia which means slipped discs which means the cartilage on the on the two of the vertebrae have worn away completely so it's the discs just rubbing against each other Mm. which is unpleasant yeah uh yes. high blood pressure which i didn't know about until last week and i went to see the the doctor not about the high blood pressure but she said you've got high blood pressure you're she, like yeah i'm in a doctors yeah i know that's exactly what i said yeah she said are you always this stressed i said i'm doing a gig in french this week i am absolutely petrified <laughs> okay yeah. um and what's the other thing I've got? Oh, I don't know, something you else. You said you had uh, nosebleeds. Nosebleeds, so. yeah. Well, that I think that's from... A, I had a dental implant a couple of years ago, and the French dentists are rough. They are rough as hell. Tell me about it, yeah. Oh, man, alive. He literally knees on my shoulders with a hammer and tongue going away at me. Yeah. And ever since then, he put the implant in, and ever since then, I've had nosebleeds. But I went yeah. to the dentist, and the dentist said, well, it's not the implant, cause it's nowhere near any any membrane or anything like that. So I'm, I'm going to go and see somebody about that next week as well. Talking of uh, rough French dentists,
1: I had a lovely rough French dentist experience. <laughs> so I went to my dentist. Uh, she wasn't there, so she was replaced by someone. Okay, she that's was replaced, a good sign. No, not at all. She was replaced by essentially a homeless dentist, okay. a dentist who doesn't have <laughs> her own practice. Just moving from one dentist, yeah. some one, one dental dentist. Yeah, exactly. Just moving around like, not, you know, so that's one thing. And and so I normally go to the dentist with my wife. She handles all the French speaking and, and understanding and I okay. just provide the teeth. All right. right? <laughs> I arrived 10, 15 minutes before my wife did. So I went in the chair first okay. and I laid down the replacement dentist who looked like a plastic surgeon's sort of what practice book. Is that right? Uh, You know what I mean? Like, basically, she had terrible plastic surgery. I don't know if that had anything to do with it. I didn't know how old she was. She was like an ageless sort of Paul Simon lookalike. Okay. Okay? Just picture that. (laughs) That's um, that's quite an image. Yeah. So she started going at my teeth, and she was... You know that thing where they clean? Yeah. Clean with a metal spike? Scraper. Scraper. She was scraping. She was scraping my gums a lot. So a lot of gum work. I was bleeding. Fairly badly for my teeth. And she was going around doing that. She was talking to the assistant in French while she was doing it. And essentially, the, the, from what I could understand, what she was saying was, English people's teeth, you know, so she was going on about English people's teeth. English people's teeth stick out, she was saying. And it's because the alveolar ridge is formed in a different way that uh, their teeth all stick out.
0: What's the alveolar ridge?
1: The alveolar ridge is that, uh, Behind your front Just teeth? Just behind your front teeth, there is a uh, a ridge before... So on your bite. Like yeah, so when you make a T sound, yeah, t, 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 the tip of your tongue touches the, that ridge. Okay. So you've got the alveolar ridge, then on behind that is the soft palate, they call it. Right. These are all things you learn when you learn about pronunciation and stuff. Right. So, So she said the alveolar ridge is formed differently, and it pushes the teeth out, and then afterwards... After I I was, like, checking out the blood coming out of my mouth in the mirror and stuff, and my wife was chatting to her, she was going, oh, yeah, English people don't like to have their teeth done, and all this stuff. Like, what the fuck what what are
0: you talking done? about? Well, not with the spikes, so they're bleeding no, as you d- come out. Yeah, no. I don't like to have... Who me- likes that?
1: What you mean is, when you say English people don't like their ha- to have their teeth done, is what you mean is that English people don't like to be spiked stabbed in the teeth while being racially abused <laughs> that's i think that's Well, she's probably got a point yeah i mean it's true it's true <laughs> english people don't like that but anyway it was pretty bizarre and yeah like the worst treatment i've had like my gums are all like purple around my teeth and all bleeding and stuff it was horrible did um, you have to pay for that as well uh well yeah 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 it's like partially refunded but also yeah. you have to pay for some of it too. I mean, the teeth were clean, but yeah. also a lot of my gums were clean too. I don't know.
0: I don't know. They, there's something about medics. And I think in France that, that they have, they are highly qualified and, uh, you know, everybody needs them and stuff, but they just make arbitrary decisions without your consent at times. I took my kids to the dentist and this is how I found out that I needed an implant in the first place. Cause I had, a crown on my front tooth I'd had it kicked out playing football years ago and had it and had a crown put on and I was in the dentist uh and the kids had been seen to and I just said to him I said I'm having a problem because my crown's loose or it feels loose it, maybe I'm just you know it's 20 years since I had it done maybe it's just you know past its cell by date or whatever and he said sit down in the chair Five minutes later, I'm lying back in that chair, and he has done to show to my kids that there's a crack in my crown. He's put a syringe needle from the inside of my mouth so it's sticking out. Gosh. My kids are now screaming, going, What have you done to daddy? He's got a metal spike sticking out of his mouth. Yeah. And he said, There you go, you see, I'm just showing you that your crown is fractured and you need to get it changed quickly or your face will collapse so you could have just told me that didn't, need yeah. to demonstrate. didn't have to demonstrate that to two very young boys <laughs> at the time who are even now having nightmares about the whole thing oh wow
1: okay so like um little health complaints and things could this be as a result of your mod choices <laughs> in life
0: i don't know if it's mod choice i don't know why i don't know why i've got all this stuff at the moment i think that it's possibly a result of I've lived in France for 15 years, so for for 15 years, almost every week, 90% of the time, I've been commuting backwards and forwards between the UK, to to gig in the UK and to live at home in rural France. On the Eurostar? On the Eurostar or on budget airlines or in a car or sometimes a bus. I made it a, an almost a mission that I wouldn't have the same journey Two weeks in a row I, I couldn't have the same journey two weeks in a row because then it would make it it would feel like a commute and i didn't want I didn't want that kind of laborious ennui I didn't want to feel like I was being forced to go where I was going, so I made sure that the journey was different every week mm-hmm. you know you can't do it every single week obviously, but you no two consecutive weeks were the same journey. But that meant a lot of faffing around, it meant getting up at crack of dawn to come home, so I always made a point of again needing to come home as soon as I possibly could. So I'd be getting up at four o'clock in the morning and waiting in a cold bus station with a heavy bag over my shoulder. And that takes its toll. Yeah, it does, yeah. It does. physically that takes its toll. I think mentally it takes its toll and and mentally that has an effect on your body. You run out of energy. You run out of you run out of the energy to be able to recuperate especially when you're doing it every week how long
1: have you been a professional stand-up comedian or touring stand-up comedian
0: A touring stand-up comedian I would say 22 years 23 years yeah do you that's that's a long time it's a long time on the road living out of cases you know yeah do do you what kind of bag do you have I have got the world's greatest bag. I bet you do. I bet I you've got a, got a very stylish bag. bag. I right. absolutely love this bag. I bought this bag when we first moved to France, and it's, it's a Samsonite. They don't make it anymore. It was a Samsonite. It's almost like a TARDIS. A TARDIS is the Doctor Who spaceship, so it's bigger on the inside than it looks on the outside. Right. And it's a very small, what looks like a very small case, but it folds out triple wires oh on the back there's a back pocket that folds out triple wise so i can get two suits in there and they'll barely crease fold them back up and then you've still got the case in the front like that wow and and it's so and it's so good because it doesn't it's black and it doesn't look very big so nobody's ever stopped me and gone that's too big for cabin luggage which it is and because you wear it over your shoulder and you don't have to wheel it around like a loser i hate wheelie
1: cases ah but carrying a bag over your shoulder is one of the worst things you can do to your back. Yes. So I used to do that. I used to always carry my bag over my shoulder. And when I was working at university for a few years, I used to carry this big leather. It was a really nice leather, like a real leather, sort of large satchel. Yeah. I used to carry it over my shoulder and I had all the exam... like photocopies in there, all yeah. my students' exams, and often it would be very heavy and I'd be slinging it over my shoulder. And I suffered so much during that period with like the bad yeah. neck and everything. And I, uh, I'm
0: no medic, but that's probably what's given you bunions. What? That back, yeah. that original no, the bag, bag, everything's the back.
1: Everything's yeah, connected. Yeah, exactly. That's why I was saying it earlier, that that is either giving me the bunions or the bunions are giving me the neck yeah. Yeah. or all of it's because of the way I favour one leg when I stand. So yeah. now it's like uh now i've entered the second phase of my life Well yeah. the first half of my life i stood on my right foot now i'm standing on my left foot now well, that's yeah, has def- that made a difference the defining feature <laughs> because
0: of- i was told i went to see a physiotherapist in france and he was a lovely bloke from, from belgium and he said what do you do for living and i'm stand up and he said well that's for one that's tough on your back you are standing while you're working right yeah so he says how do you stand and I, and I kind of showed him, and he said, well, you're favouring you're your left leg. So the next time you do a gig, I want you to favour your right leg. And it didn't work. But it wasn't it funny. It didn't work. It didn't, no, there was no humour in that at all. I but tried to get 20 minutes out of just standing on my right leg. Standing on no right leg, there. no one laughed. But it, was, it, but it felt odd. Yeah. It felt the choreography of how I had been doing stand-up for 20 years by that point
1: just felt slightly odd. It's an interesting question because as a comedian myself, I don't have the same level of experience that you do, but often uh, before a show, I will think about little details like that. Like my mind gets plagued with all sorts of um, extraneous Mm. details, like, for example, what kind of clothes I'm going to wear and how I stand on stage. So for me, the best gigs are when I'm actually moving while I'm talking and everything's quite fluid and I'm moving around a lot. And then the worst gigs, I feel, I realise I'm I'm, rigid. St- I'm stuck to the spot and I'm yeah. rigid. And yeah. then, and the worst is when I realise, oh shit, I'm just stuck to this spot and I'm really, really rigid. So I'm going to move now. And then you move, and it's like a really awkward move, I think, and it doesn't work.
0: I think a lot of comics when they first start out get kind of bogged down in that stuff as well. And I think one of the things you can do to try and make that less of an issue is to do comparing where you are forced to address the whole room and forced to use whatever stage you have to move over to the right if something's going on, to move over to the left. It forces you out of yourself and and to use the area that you've been given.
1: Yeah. I actually like doing the large stages that I've done sometimes when I'm usually performing on someone else's show right. like with Paul for yeah. example and, and I'll get the chance to do to to uh, perform on quite a wide stage in front of a large audience that is amazing yeah. because you get to like walk from yeah. one side to the other yeah. and it's brilliant like the first it, it's, it's wonderful because the first thing you do you come out you get the microphone you start pacing up and down and sort of addressing everyone yeah. that is amazing and then you're walking and talking and it's really really good and it, you make it's it. Food liberating as yeah. a
0: stand-up as well and and you can it helps the performance of what of your material you get more out of your material and you realize there's more in your material because you're 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 forcing yourself to be more physical and if you can get material isn't just about being verbal or just being physical it's about matching up the two things yes, yes. and and a big stage obviously gives you the opportunity to do that but comparing does that as well but this Belgian guy, anyway, was saying
1: that stand-up is very bad for your back. And basically, he was yeah, saying, "Yeah, that yeah, he yeah. Was like, yeah, okay, yeah. all right, my,
0: my entire lifestyle."
1: <laughs> yeah, your entire lifestyle is bad for you. Yeah. Bad for your lifestyle. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so you you you're still doing stand-up quite a lot uh, in london if any of my listeners and i have had some listeners who've come to london and and uh, gone to a comedy show and i always recommend the comedy store because it's my favorite it's one. the
0: best club in the world
1: so the the comedy store in london is it leicester square
0: yeah just off leicester square yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, always my recommendation for going to see stand-up in london thursday night friday night saturday night those are the three those
0: are the pure stand-up nights yeah and then on a sunday and wednesday there's improv world famous improv and on a Tuesday, there's a, what they call cutting edge, which is um, topical news. Uh-huh. Topical uh, news programs. And Monday's the Gong Show, is Monday's the last Monday of every month is the Gong Show, which is pitiful. It's um, horrible. It, that's what, to explain what the Gong Show is, it's an opportunity for people who've never really done stand up before to go yeah. onto the stage. At the comedy store and try and last long enough before they're gonged off. A gong is like a
1: big, um, like a bell, kind of flat up. Yeah, bell. dinner
0: gong. Bong!
1: Like that. So, yeah. um... Yeah, so basically the the as a performer, the Gong show is quite legendary, certainly in the open mic act uh, scene. Yeah. Uh, once you, you know, um, graduate to the professional stuff is like If
0: you can get through that, you're you're doing extremely well. But if you don't get through that, it is no way a reflection on your skills as a comedian. It's just it's a night in and of itself. It's quite brutal. It's I, think I I may brutal.
1: have mentioned it on this podcast before because I spoke to Rob and I think he did the gong show.
0: He did the gong show when I was compare. Right.
1: So let me just explain what the gong show is, just so my listeners understand exactly. So as a performer, you go up, and you've got a maximum of, what, five minutes? Five minutes. Okay. But the first two minutes, uh, you're being judged. So, no, no, you're no? judged through the whole thing. All the way through the five you're minutes. You're the whole thing. So you the the do gong the could go off at any point at any in moment. that five minutes. So you go up, you've got five minutes, you start doing your material in front of the audience, and red flags have been passed out
0: there are three judges in the audience who have red red cards effectively a bit like football and they can hold them off hold them up at any point um to say that they want you off the stage and once all three judges have made that decision i then gong the gong and you have to get off the stage okay
1: and some people last a matter of seconds don't they Oh, literally seconds. Some but people. then,
0: uh, you know, because we're, it's, it's such a brutal thing. I remember there was, I was doing it once. And I, I in no way think this is big or clever, but there was some guy, I knew he'd come all the way from Australia to, uh, to, to perform at the gong show in London, and he jumped onto the stage, but he was wearing flip-flops. And I just, I banged the gong straight away. <laughs> I will not have any form of beach leisure wear on the greatest comedy stage in the world. <laughs> And that, is that what you it. said after two and a half seconds? <laughs> so you
1: can see how brutal it is, ladies and gents. You can come up and literally, you're just your appearance can can get you either all three red flags or a gong. And you have to, to, to walk away, or you go up and your first joke it doesn't go down very well, and you get a couple of red flags, and then before you know it, you're, you're flagged off. I've never done the gong show. You know.
0: I, I think it's, it's, quite, it's quite a spectacle if you're in the audience and no vested interest. Yeah. But like I say, it is, no, it is not a judgment on anybody's comedic ability if you fail or even get through. so
1: so that's monday night and and so essentially i always recommend to my students that if they go to london they want to see comedy they go to the comedy store and some of them have some of some of them have definitely gone at the weekend so they may have seen you comparing Mm -hmm. so you're there sometimes doing the the
0: emceeing at the comedy store still in london Yeah, yeah about three or four times a year yeah yeah okay it's the best show in the world it's it's you know it's when you're when you're comparing what is the best comedy stage in the world with you know some of the top acts it is it's such a it's such a buzz it's such a buzz you know there's no finer feeling in stand-up for me yeah absolutely um hmm, i've got several other things left that i
1: wanted to talk to you about before we end okay so one of them is um i bring it up the b the b word
0: if well, we should do the thing about language learning yeah okay we? let's get yeah, into that then yeah. so
1: so as a uh, an english person living in france You've been learning. Have you been learning French? Have you been actively applying yourself to learning the language?
0: I, I did, and I didn't, and I tried various ways of doing it. And in the end, because for most of the time I've been living in France, I've only been here half the week. I was just too tired, you know, yeah. and and didn't make the proper effort that I, that I should have made. And also, you know, we we tried various things at home to to try and artificially force us to speak. French at home, which we don't, we speak English at home mainly. Your wife is French? My wife's she's half, she's half French, she's she, she's bilingual she's definitely, she's more French than English mm-hmm. um, um and the kids are all French and English and you know we tried to do this thing but where we we forced the French and it didn't, it never worked, it never, one of my kids actually said to me, Daddy I don't want to speak French at home when you're here because when you're at home we want to be able to understand what you're saying which is <laughs> a <laughs> A <laughs> brutal assessment of my language skills basically but then with um with brexit and all of i decided the day after brexit that i had to become french i knew that with the personalities involved in brexit and with the promises that were made with brexit that it would turn out to be an utter utter shit show and i had to take steps to protect To protect my family. I was genuinely, genuinely concerned that at some point we could be split up as a family. Basically, you're like
1: Liam Neeson on this. (laughs) I am.
0: am. I'm slightly better dressed. (laughs) I'll do anything to protect my family. I'll even become (laughs) French. Paris, exactly. Exactly. But it... But I was genuinely, genuinely scared that um, with the kind of talk that was coming out of Britain in that we don't want EU immigrants or if there are EU migrants, then they have to have an earning threshold. If not, then they have to leave. Now, if that was reciprocated in France, I wasn't earning any money in France. I was earning all my money outside of France. So I would be subject to that kind of reciprocal arrangement. So my family could stay or I could go. And anyway, the fear grew. And so I made the decision the day after the Brexit referendum that I would try and get the French nationality. And the first thing you have to do to get French nationality, the first hurdle you have to jump over is to, to pass the French language test. It's the um, I'm trying to, It's the TCF. It's the Test de Connaissance de Française, or Français. There's a few different names for it. Few yeah, different versions, they all have but, the same yeah, kind TCF. of European level of yeah, of, of
1: minimum level that you have to achieve. Based on the European Framework of Common Reference for lang- the um, E. God, I know that acronym off by heart. You should do European the, Reference of ECF. E- European Common Framework of Reference, ECFR. And so, yeah, the, and the requirement is that you have uh, a minimum B1, which is basically an intermediate level of French, yeah. which is like, you know, the basic stuff that the you need to School stuff, get. isn't it, basically? Yeah, it's GCSE, yeah. maybe even yeah. less than that. Yeah.
0: yeah. But, as ever, with these things, there's a, and my French is better than that, and I'd really learnt, I'd really put in the effort, all I did was listen to, to French radio, I, I'd made a massive effort and, and, and made, uh, you know, an, an effort to get out of my comfort zone as well. Mm-hmm to go out and speak to people and just just speak more french and perform in french and perform i've done a few gigs in in french which is utterly terrifying utterly terrifying um so i, I and I, and we sat down we, we had to fill in the application form to to take this 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 language test and my wife actually said to me she said shall we put you down as a mute
1: <laughs> and I, wait
0: a mute is somebody who can't speak <laughs> you think that would be better than, than what, she, she, I think we were scrabbling around for anything that would uh, mean I could avoid having this French language test right I see you know so she said if we put <laughs> having some kind of language disability yeah maybe they'll just wave you through they'll let you through yeah, yeah if you do that like I'm sorry and, he's uh, deaf dumb and blind yeah he plays pinball but very little <laughs> else um and, uh, that's a reference to the who by the way yeah. pinball wizard Definitely. and he um and, she, so, and we said, no, you know, we can't, we can't avoid this. We can't avoid this, this thing. I have to go through it. And I turned up at the – I took my test in Tours, uh, which is not far from where I live. And the first part of the test was like a 25-minute listening multiple choice. Yeah. And everybody else in the room was already a French speaker. They were were all from um, former colonies of France, African colonies of France or North African um, states. So they spoke French, but they were just going through this kind of... They had to go through the same hurdle I had. And even they were all standing around after the test going... Man, that was hard, wasn't it? I'd <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> oh, stop listening after about two minutes. When I did that, so I, d- I did
1: exactly the same thing as you, and I was there doing the computer-based test for 25 minutes, struggling, struggling and stuff, and it reveals your score at the end. Oh, revealed, I didn't have that. my score on the screen afterwards. And uh, what did I, I came out as B1 in the... Uh, in the listening which i was very disappointed by because when i've been practicing it like listening understanding people is the thing i can do like i can't do most other things but responding yeah i I can't respond no i I can understand what people say i don't understand i don't know how i can understand what they say Ian, because i don't really know any words or grammar so i don't know how i'm understanding them i think i just use the force i use the jedi mind trick (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to understand people when they speak French. Because I, I literally can't be like, okay, and that word, that word, but that's, that
0: word. But that's because you're seeing them as well. And there's, there's a rhythm mm. and to how Context. people talk. And, absolutely. But facial expression and all of that. And you can gauge question or answer or... Yeah or um, rhetorical question or whatever yeah. well if it's just a listening comprehension all of those yeah. weapons that you have are taken away from much you much more difficult um, and so anyway I was listening to it and not you know
1: normally in my practice listening test I've been doing at home I was coming out pretty good and a lot of the time I was like C1 which was amazing that's, that's advanced that's I was good. like bloody hell how am I managing this yeah And then in the actual exam, of course, being in the exam room, the, the, you know, the tension, I couldn't, I didn't know where to look, I couldn't find my comfortable zone. I I realized that my mind was drifting and like, it was really hard to focus. And so I knew I was answering questions, knowing that I was getting them wrong. It's like, Oh God, this is a nightmare. In the end, it came up B one, which is you know the the that's the minimum requirement. Minimum. I looked around at the other screens as people were leaving, and I glanced at the other screens: C one, C one, C two, C two, C two, C two. All these other people are how you bastards!
0: That's that's. The, but I mean, we didn't have that. We didn't. Ours wasn't computerized. Ours was just pen and paper. Ah uh, well, I, I, yeah. Was, so I didn't. I didn't even. I didn't. Out there in I didn't the, have that luxury that I'd actually passed. i thought Out my there my in the countryside. God, it's a different there, story. Chalk but, and slate where yeah. I was. but I didn't get the
1: result until later. I just right. the result of my listening thing came up yeah. and then I had to do the speaking thing, which I talked to you about earlier, which was um, horrible. But amazingly I got B two in the speaking. Even though it all went wrong, I ended up with B two. I must have done so well in the first two. Or she was so—I I was so nice. I was like—I made a point of, of, of you know, doing the French thing, which they like a lot, which is that what you, you kissed her on both cheeks. I, I well, I it's tried over familiar. Yeah, no, she. Yeah, that wasn't appropriate, unfortunately. But they, that was before they pressed record on the tape machine. But. Um, you know, I tried to be very polite, you know, and, and do all the things they expect. I, I made an effort. I ironed a shirt more Could than you? this, better I than this. I hope so. Yeah. And, um, but I, it was so awful. But maybe I survived. And it, for me, like, the last three minutes of the test were an absolute disaster. But maybe I'd got to the B2 point before it all went wrong. I don't yeah. know. But I got B2 from that. So I got B1 in, in the end uh, overall. I think I got
0: B two. I can't remember. I think it was B two. It wasn't. You know, I'm not going to be employed by by UNICEF as a translator in any in, in the upcoming weeks. That's for sure. But I had my disasters during the whole thing. How was your speaking test? Well, I you see, I it was it was awful. It was just I still even now wake up sweating and going. Why? How, why did you do that? Because as you know, the the first part, there's three parts of the speaking test. The first part is you just have to introduce and talk about yourself. That's easy. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we can do mm-hmm. that. The second part was um a role play where the examiner gives you a role play. The examiner then leaves the room and so you've got two minutes to prepare. She comes back. He or she comes back into the room, presses record, and you begin the role play. And that for me was... I, maybe I was overthinking it, maybe I was just looking for laughs, I don't know, but the role play that the, that the examiner gave me was, I'm going away for a month, I'd like you to look after my dog, and the idea from that, from that start, that conversation started, is you then have a chat about the whole thing, maybe the logistics of whatever. Anyway, she left the room, I prepared, she came back in, she pressed record on the machine, and she said, I'm going away for a month, I'd like you to look after my dog, and I said, I don't want your dog. and her face just fell and she pressed stop on the record and said you must have the dog (laughs) (laughs) We heard this kind of row for about five minutes over whether i had to have the dog she wasn't and then she pressed record again during this conversation so it was clear clear that i decided i wasn't going to change my position on the whole having the dog thing yeah so she decided to just record and go with it the argument yeah so, maybe I, maybe I was very French in that argument. I have no idea. Surely, uh, non is the, is the. It's, it's default. Isn't yeah,
1: it? the default thing. I, I'm surprised she yeah. was so, so unprepared for I'm that. I'm
0: sorry, I don't want your dog. I'm on strike that week. Yeah, I
1: don't, I'm allergic to dogs. Now yeah. what?
0: Yeah. What are you going to do about it? Yeah. Don't go on holiday.
1: Because I would imagine that she, like, probably, were you doing it for laughs? You were, weren't you? You were. I don't I think you see, you were. This Come is on. the
0: thing. This is the thing. A part of you as a comedian, and I was having this conversation with another comedian the other night, and that part of you is going, just play it straight. There, yes. you, there is nothing to be gained here by being clever or, or even trying to be funny. Mm-hmm. There really is nothing here. But equally, there was nothing on that piece of paper that said I had to have this bloody dog.
1: <laughs> I don't even know you. I just met you one minute
0: ago. You're so my French look, examiner. You and now you're, you're trying are? to get me yeah, to what, look after what, your what, dog? Is this some kind of bribe? What, I get my nationality if I look after your dog? What the hell's going on? Anyway... <laughs> so we moved on to the third part of the of the TCF examination, the the oral part of it, which is the most French part because it's the most it's it's what I what I call the dinner party part of the yeah. of the exam, in that it's the kind of philosophical open-ended question that would be thrown out around a French dinner table and then would just, the next few hours would just be wild away as p- various people had various opinions on whatever the subject is.
1: Everyone gets their turn as well. Everyone gets their yep. spot. Yep. So at a French yep. dinner party where you get your moment to like say what you got to say and everyone yep. will listen to you but you speak for like five minutes or something yep. about this thing and you give your opinions, you present your philosophical, yep. uh, what's the word for it, uh, problematic yep. to them, uh, to your... To, the, to your co-eaters and um, okay so what was yours then what
0: was your question my my question was um an apologies for the french accent but that's how it is peut on des pays à travers le livre now that uh, uh, as i know now that translates as can you know a country across their literature can you know a country th- through through their literature yeah and I knew that I knew the peut-on the can you know a country? And I knew Le Livre, I knew their literature. The à travers thing in the middle, mm-hmm. that connecting thing, uh, just through, it yeah. just literally through me.
1: Hey! There you go. It's different spelling, folks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, through, spelled T H R E W, the past participle of throw, which sounds the same as the per- preposition through, T H R O U G H that is where the the joke comes from ladies and gents there you okay, go there continue. you go uh,
0: but for me à travers and i was thinking, i don't know this i don't know à travers where where there must be something and i was, you get you know when you're really scrabbling around and, and going through your kind of french word rolodex spinning in your head à travers i couldn't get it and then it came in travers barbecue ribs <laughs> travert means barbecue ribs travert is, is a word is, is what is, is, is barbecue ribs so i thought I, suddenly this light bulb went off above my head can you know a country from their outdoor cooking books yeah and i just went on for about five minutes about outdoor cooking in various countries like if it
1: is if that country is australia then the answer is yes yeah
0: you know and uh, I don't know and she was just looking at me like this bloke's insane. He not only doesn't <laughs> want my dog <laughs> but he thinks that this is all about outdoor cooking and barbecue. Ribs. She's going oh, oh les, les anglais quoi la
1: brexit quoi <laughs> yeah. obsessed
0: with the beef these people.
1: Yeah, cooking and,
0: outside. J- and and I and I came out of that room and then it hit me about what travers was and I just felt just so stupid she must have thought I, it was secretly being filmed or something like that <laughs> <laughs> That i was some kind of setup and i and i was i was i was just crushed i was literally crushed and then i got a letter about two weeks later which said i thought you have attained the tcf that you that you need and it wasn't that at all I can't remember what the, avert, the v- French verb is, attendre, mm. something like that. But basically, it just meant, well done, you turned up. It was basically a letter confirming the fact that I'd taken the bloody exam, not wow. that I'd passed it. That's it? Yeah, I'm jumping up and down, going, and I'm, I was actually at work at the comedy store, yeah. and, and, I, it was, and it came through via email. And I forwarded the email to my wife saying, hey, you know, we passed. And she just emailed me back saying, no, 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 you just turned up. Because well, well done. Because in France,
1: if something is not on paper, then it didn't happen.
0: Absolutely. So it has to be put on papers just to, so
1: everyone's got a record that yeah. you did attend the yeah. thing. So the blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. For, uh, I mean, I told you about mine earlier. I have mentioned it on the podcast before, but uh, yeah, it was horrible. Just like missing one word, like one yeah. word I didn't understand yeah. through me completely. I mean, I'm not really capable of, of doing that five minute uh, talk at the dinner table, anyway. Um, but I didn't really understand the question, so I, I I managed to produce about three sentences before I just basically shut down. <laughs> I went into kind of low power mode, you know, like when you when the batteries run out on a device and it's just kind of going, you know, like just ticking over. Like there is some some residual electricity in there somewhere so i was just like uh, in a perpetual state of um i'm about to say something i'm about to say something brilliant and then the time ran out and uh, and because i didn't understand a word or something and then um as i was saying to you earlier i was sweating so much the the sweat was pouring off me because i i will sweat if i'm nervous if i'm put on the spot Mm -hmm. i just start sweating it's really weird and it was july so it was it was boiling hot, so I was pouring sweat sweat pouring dripping off my nose during this test i don 't think she noticed maybe the the, the, the level of French because she was so distracted by the, the the perspiration the liquid that was exiting my body was like more interesting than the French that was coming out and um, and so I at the end of the test, she switched off the recorder and I said to her, Oh, part three was difficult, I said in French, and she said to me. Oh, no, that's okay. We've got a lift from the third floor. (laughs) And I was like, thank God that wasn't in the test.
0: (laughs) Finding your way out of the room. Part four of the oral examination. She she
1: didn't, obviously, she didn't understand what I had said, because I probably said something complete, some absolute (laughs) shit to her. And she had taken one look at me, and the context of this man is hot overrided any other potential communicative factor so that the only message she understood from that was I am hot. I don't want to walk downstairs because it will be uncomfortable. She's like, Oh no, don't worry. There's a lift from the third floor. She
0: clearly felt sorry for you. Yeah, mate. she did. Yeah. Cle- I yeah. mean, you'd won her over. Whereas this, this woman hated me. She-
1: I did win her over. I'm very good at, 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 doing that, at finding ways of, of sort of failing, like grac- nobly. graciously, right. nobly, nobly kind of f- f- collapsing in front of right. people, and then they take pity on me. Yeah that's how that's most of my french interactions are that where i'm like <laughs> i go to the post office and i'm like right so in english it's like good day madam i have this package which i have to send back to this company uh, can you please talk me through the necessary steps and here it's like uh, uh i have package uh to uh i generally start sentences and wait for them to finish them and then if they're right i'm like yes if they've got the wrong sentence and then i go you know it's terrible it's a total disaster It's debilitating, isn't it? Because we
0: both speak for a living as well, and and I and I find it. And my wife has has said this. That um, and my in-laws have said this as well. My mother-in-law's French, and that I'm pleasingly I've now reached a level of French where where my personality is actually able to show. Oh, I'm far from which is not necessarily a good thing. (laughs) And we've fallen out with lost family since that has happened. <laughs> I was just a quiet, polite bloke at the end of the table before this. Now they know that I can be a right shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was saying
1: to you earlier that, like, um, well, first of all, I don't know how I understand people. I think it's the Jedi mind trick. And secondly, what was it I was saying earlier? That's it. What I was saying to you earlier is that I've realized that, I, first of all, I'm. I'm a good teacher, right? So I've been teaching for 20 years. So I'm, I'm a pretty good English language teacher, and I know what I'm doing. And I'm a, I'm a good teacher, but I'm a bad learner. Right. So I find it's better, it's more effective if I can just teach people the English that I need them to know for yeah. that particular transaction than for me to, speak, to try and speak French. So it's like, let me just teach you English for this situation, yeah. and then we'll move on. You know that that well, seems you to be could, more effective. If you effective. could do
0: that for roughly sixty million people <laughs> living in France on an individual basis, you won't have to learn French yeah. anymore.
1: That's 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 essentially what I'm everything. doing. That's essentially what I'm doing. I'm attempting to teach the French English, so I don't have to learn French one by one. It <laughs> yeah. Might take a while. Yes, I know. I, uh, yeah.
0: Uh, I, that's what I've I found because I've had to use French a lot more since since I set up the, the Chambre in in the Loire Valley. Um, this is your guest house. This is the it, guest you? house where we live, yeah. so that I don't have to go travelling every every weekend. Mm-hmm. And again, it was a it was supposed to be um, a, a safe. A fallback for the Brexit thing, if I didn't get the nationality, because I was told I wouldn't get the nationality anyway. I had a police interview, one of many police interviews, more police interviews than most other people who've had. Police interviews. To get the the nationality thing. I had had armed police turn up the door and want to see my papers and rifle through some drawers and stuff. I was called into another police interview in Tours, and then I had another police interview in Chateau, which I don't know what that was about, but... It, we were talking about the nationality they're trying to find out your motives to be, for why you want to become french basically and we talked about it and, and you know my french isn't great but this police woman was really lovely and really really quite sweet and, and very understanding and she said um she said look i'll recommend you to get the to get the nationality and i said that's that's very kind of you and then she said but you won't get it and and i i said sorry i don't I don't what do you mean why why wouldn't I why wouldn't I get it if you're recommending it to for for me to go forward for that why would I not get that and she said because it's your first time meaning this is France you don't nobody gets anything the first time they apply for it you know she said it's like a driving license nobody passes first time you have to go through the whole process again Mm. I mean I did get it but because I didn't think I'd get it, I had to have a, a fallback, like I said, which is why we set up the chambre the B and B, where we are, so that I am earning money in the French system, so mm. that that wouldn't be an issue. As I said earlier, with you know, with reciprocal rights between the UK and and France and the EU. And what i found with is that I'm forced to to interact with people, you know, more than I normally would. <laughs> You know, and and chatting to people. Oh, because of the, the guest house. Because I'm, so, yeah, and and some um, the French especially. The idea of a chambre d'hôte with the French is not just a B and B. This is not just where we're laying our head down for the night. If you're, we're at breakfast, and this is a breakfast table, and that means you stay and you chat to us. Yeah, you yeah. know, who are you? Why Why are you English? Why, why are you here? Why have you set this up? What's this yeah, all yeah, about? Yeah. And it, and it's helped enormously. Why with, are you, Why are you English? Why are you English? <laughs> what on earth? What kind of decision was that you made at a very early age before <laughs> you'd thought it through at all? Yeah. Um, but it's helped enormously. And also gigging in French. When I gigged in French uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was absolutely, absolutely terrified of it. Um, hadn't done... I felt I hadn't pre- prepared enough, even though I had. I just felt that it was so far out of my comfort zone that I was just going to fall down flat on my face, which is, if anything, I'm about no loss of dignity. That's, that's if Somebody should put that on my tombstone. At least he didn't lose dignity. Yeah. And the gig went really well. And it gave me the confidence then, if I can stand up in front of... French people using their language and get laughs out of that, I can order a bloody coffee yeah. without, without trying to make... out know, looking like an idiot, yeah. you know. And, I, and I've got far more confidence in the last month than I had before that. You know, yeah. I'm willing to... You know, we were, that, we were in that cafe downstairs where point blank they refused to speak French to us. Yeah. Even though I was... I, you, were, you were speaking English to them and they were speaking English to, to both of us. And then when I went to pay, I just insisted... On speaking did in French. Did they speak French to you? She responded in French. Eventually, yeah, I wore did, the yeah. woman down. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, you know, I've, uh, my listeners might be tremendously disappointed to learn that I'm not a great learner of French because, obviously, I've, I'm an international expert in language acquisition <laughs> and uh, a guru of, of language learning and all that stuff. But, um, you know, I don't necessarily
0: apply to but myself. That, but, that's, but I don't think that's... Even if you were... Even if we were both fluent in French... They would still have spoken to us in English in that in that bar. Well that's that's just Paris.
1: They've designed that that bar is me- you know they're meant to speak English in there because the owner has gone okay so we get a lot of tourists round here I only want staff who can speak oh, fluent English really? and so if you hear someone who is like an English speaker an anglophone please speak English with them please use your English because we're not like those clichéd French uh waiters who refuse to speak English we will speak but English
0: I have never met a, a clichéd French waiter in that in that case mm. and they all speak
1: English. They all do speak English yeah they they pretty much do but uh, certainly more and more I feel like it's it's becoming a thing where if it, I'll go into a place like usually quite a trendy spot near here, yeah. not that I'm always going to trendy spots, but I'll go into some nice cafe or shop right yeah. on the street on the road and um, and I'll say bonjour and they immediately they can just, yeah. <laughs> he's English and yeah. they're like, hi, how are you doing? I'm like. Damn! what did which part of bonjour was wrong and and you know it's th- disheartening though isn't it well i'm you know i then just switched to english because um you know that's just uh, i'm more stubborn uh, yeah i've got to be more stubborn i'm not stubborn enough and i'm too agreeable and and, and i've never
0: been accused of being agreeable well n- i had an appointment with um, a gastroenterologist i'm not going to go into details about this it's, too, it's far too mucky um i had an appointment with a gastroenterologist recently and she was um in francis's and she was romanian um and her, her french was not perfect uh, and all the textbooks all the all the gastro textbooks are in her office were in english um One of them was called Failed Reflux Therapy, which seems like an odd textbook to have. Can can you get one which has good news? Failed Reflux (laughs) Therapy? Who wrote that book? Look up, not down. Here are all the things that you shouldn't do, okay? You should probably start by reading this. So bizarre. Yeah. And on her desk, she even had a box of After Eight Mints, which is such a very English box of chocolates. It's a very Christmas-related box of chocolates. So it's clear that she spoke English. And her French wasn't great, and my French isn't great. So, we, but we both battled through, yeah. like like it was a war that we had to see through to the end.
1: Because the the person who switches to English first is the is the loser. It's the
0: loser, yeah. It's and the I, loser. So I am, I'm I'm no. such
1: a loser because now actually I'm not a loser because they always speak switch to.
0: English and then I'm like okay you can walk away from that going well if you don't want me to use my fluent French that's you want to learn (laughs) that's fine so the joke I always say and I've
1: said it many times is um, my French is not going very well but my excuses uh, are getting better all the time (laughs) I'm fluent (laughs) in excuses (laughs) that's very good um, okay well look I could talk to you for ages but um, we have to stop at some point it's been an hour and 15 minutes thank you Ian thank for you for coming back on the podcast um, for the first time in about three and a half
0: years was it it was pre-Brexit wasn't it three and a half was... years
1: ago pre-Brexit we talked about it a little bit but yeah uh,
0: I think I was more optimistic about it then
1: should we just not talk about it?
0: I think it's best not to. Now, now I'm French. I really don't have to have these worries anymore. Yeah, but it's still that d- disappointment, isn't it? Ah, it's like this. It is. It's it, there's there's one other thing. and I will just say this briefly about it. In the, when I was in one of the interviews I had for my nationality thing, one of the questions is, "How French do you feel? You know, and basically you've got to then come out with a spiel about very. French. You know, I look. I wear onions around my neck on any weekday when I'm not working but I and I just and I just felt maybe maybe this is me being honest and it actually working for a change I just said I feel European um, and I feel more European than I do British and I think that the values of Europe are the values that were taken from the rights of man and from the, from the French Revolution and in that respect I feel more French yeah Then I do English or British. Yeah. And it it worked, you know. I didn't try and go in there and go, look, I am so French. (laughs) I mean, look at me. (laughs) Look look at this tweed (laughs) frock coat I'm wearing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Okay. Well, it's very nice to have you back on the podcast. And uh, next time you're in town, let me know and we'll go for a pint and a podcast again. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. A pleasure. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Okay, so that was Ian Moore. Thank you again to Ian for being on the podcast. I won't talk a lot more here at the end because I don't want the episode to be too long, but I would like to say thanks again to Ian for being on the podcast. You can find out more about Ian on his website, ianmoore.info. And well done for managing to follow this entire conversation. I wonder how much you understood, how many little jokes and funny moments you picked up on it might be worth listening again. And I wouldn't be surprised if the transcription team chose to transcribe this episode like they did with episodes 382 and 383. You can find those transcriptions in the Google documents by clicking transcripts in the menu on my website. Also on my website, you might see the word premium in the menu, and I highly recommend you click on that and consider signing up to get access to all of the premium content I've made. And there's over 70 episodes of content, either video or audio, and also all the new content that comes out regularly. Grammar, vocabulary, pronunciation lessons, PDFs that you can download, uh, practice drills, tests, memory tests, and all sorts of other things. So that's it for now then. Have a fantastic day, morning, lunch, afternoon, late afternoon, early evening, mid-evening, late evening and night. And I will speak to you again on the podcast soon. But for now, goodbye. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk.